Well, let's turn together, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6. And while you're turning, I uh, just want to remind you of the transition team nomination form that's in all of your bulletins. Today's the final day for you to hand in your nominations. Uh, session is, and staff are doing this as well, and we're really trying to hear from God through all the voices that he's placed at our disposal as to who would be best to have on this team. And he really is speaking through, through you and through overlaps that we see, and some people nominated more than others, and it's really helping us to uh, come to a conclusion of this process. So if you haven't already, please... Fill out the form and then leave it at the Connection Center box that, uh, that's uh, labeled uh, Transition Team Nominations. Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 6. Today is the Advent candle of love, as Joey said, and we're going to be talking about the heart of true love today and how that's at truly at the heart of Christmas. This comes from a Facebook post from one of our members that was posted just three days ago this Christmas season. She is a story that she, uh, that she was part of telling. It's, she said, I was in a store this morning and heard a loud rumble and something that broke. This was Wednesday morning, I think. Being curious, I walked toward the sound and saw some people whispering and looking toward the end of the next aisle. When I walked down that aisle, I saw that an old lady had hit a shelf and many things had fallen to the ground and broken. The old woman was kneeling on the ground in shame trying to clean it up. I felt compassion for her. I felt compassion for her. And everyone was standing there just watching her. So I went and knelt by her side and told her not to worry and started helping her pick up the broken pieces. After about a minute, the store manager came and knelt by our side and said, leave it, we'll clean this up. The lady, totally shamed, said, first I have to pay all this. The manager smiled, helped her to her feet and said, no ma'am, we have insurance for this. You don't have to pay anything. And then she goes on to say, we have the same insurance. It's called grace. We don't have to pay anything. And at Christmas, we remember that it comes from his goodwill toward men in Christ Jesus, otherwise known as his loving kindness, which we're going to be talking about today. Two weeks ago, we talked about the Christmas tree and what it stands for. We saw that in a lot of ways, it's an eye full of glory. It's a vision of Christ, who's the tree of life, according to Scripture. Last week, we saw that it's also a vision of what we can be in him. It's a vision of the richness of his glory through us as we let him shine in us. And not just wire on fruit of our own making, but rooted in him, like it says in Psalm 1, we're trees planted by rivers of water, watered by the Spirit, bringing forth authentic fruit, the fruit of Christ on the trees of our lives, especially at the Christmas season. We saw last week that during the Christmas season, there's one fruit on the tree of the righteous that most befits the season, and that is the third fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of peace. Peace on earth in all our hearts. In fact, the very night that Christ was born, of course, the angels went on to sing of this, glory to God in the highest, and the first and foremost thing that he came to bring was peace on earth. Just like he had peace because he was always in the house of the Father rooted in him. But there's another fruit that's a close second to peace that they also sang of, and that's on the banner on my left up there, and that is not only peace on earth, but the second thing is goodwill toward men. 
Now, there's a difference in translation in manuscripts in Luke where they say goodwill toward men. But the undergirding idea is the same, and that is his goodwill towards us can inspire our goodwill toward men, especially in the Christmas season, can empower our goodwill toward men without which we won't have it. Whether in Timbuktu or in the grocery store, it's the second fruit that most befits the season. A heart of compassion, of goodwill toward men. Another word for goodwill in Scripture is kindness. That's how Paul sums up what brought Christ to us in the first place. And that's why the angels highlighted it. In Titus 3, 4, Paul says, When the kindness of God our Savior appeared and his love for mankind, he's talking about God's love for mankind and a particular part of that love was highlighted when Christ came. The kindness of God our Savior. When the kindness of God our Savior appeared, his love for mankind, he saved us. What that means is this, it's kindness that came at Christmas. It was out of his love that he came, but it was a particular aspect of his love. It was his kindness that drove him to come. Just like her kindness drove her to kneel down by the dear woman and help her. She was moved with compassion. It's the fifth fruit of the Spirit. It comes right after patience, which of course is the fourth. Love, joy, peace, patience kindness. And together they are at the heart of true love. They were the first two words out of Paul's mouth when he thought of love in the classic passage on love in 1 Corinthians 13. The first and foremost is two things. Love is what? Patient. Love is second. Kind. Yeah. And then he's off and it all flows out of that. The idea is this. To love anyone from the get-go, you're going to need to be patient and kind. Anyone you love will give you more than, a re- more than enough reason not to love them. And without a whole lot of patience and kindness, you're going to soon fall out of love if you're anything like me. Because we all commit some pretty serious, you know, uh, spills in grocery stores. Horrible mistakes, even, of course, sins. Paul puts patience and kindness in this order for a reason. As we start by unpacking the biblical meaning of kindness, and then we'll see what it looks like in addition to the story I shared at the beginning in real life. He puts patience and kindness in this order. Love is patient, love is kind for a reason. And that is, it has to do with the meaning of kindness. To be patient is to be long-suffering, according to Scripture, according to the Greek. But to be kind is to be tender-hearted as you suffer. If patience is the action, then kindness is the emotion. Kindness is the attitude that supports the action. Both are fruits of the Spirit. Patience comes through the Spirit's influence on your will as He empowers your choosing. Kindness, on the other hand, comes through the Spirit's influence on your heart as He empowers your feelings. It's through patience that we bear all things and endure all things from the gut, you might say, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. But it's through kindness that under it all, we forgive all things from the heart. And that's where it's got to start. Clearly, there's some overlap, but it's also clear that when you go from patience to kindness, you go from cause to effect, from actions to affections. 
And there's a verse that sums this up. It sums up Scripture's teaching on the fifth fruit of the Spirit. You may already have thought of it. It's one that many of us memorized when we were young from Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. And what does that mean? It's a heart thing. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other even as God in Christ came in kindness and forgave you from the heart. Here in Ephesians 4.32, Paul defines what he means by the fifth fruit of the Spirit, uh, kindness, in Galatians 6. He uses the same Greek word in both passages. Very simply, to be kind is to be tender-hearted. And the result is that you'll be forgiving. And out of that, as we've seen, we will be patient. If forgiveness is the flash that's the final product, Kindness is the glow and Christ is the light behind them both who can illumine the tree of the righteous, especially in this hurried and harried season with the fruit of the kindness of God. Which is why the most frequent phrase of praise as we finish unpacking what kindness means in the Bible is thy loving what is everlasting? Kindness is everlasting. It's why when God proclaimed his character, this is at the core of who God is, what we're talking about today. He said, the Lord, the Lord God, slow to anger, compassionate and gracious, abounding in loving kindness, Exodus 34, 6. And so during the Yuletide season, along with peace, there's one fruit that most befits the tree of the righteous, and that is the fruit of the very kindness that brought Christ to us, that according to Titus, sums up what sent him. It's the kindness that can generate such peace and goodwill among us, as the angels sang, the kindness that can illumine us, that brings such glory to God in the highest. It's all over the place in the Gospels as we move from uh, to Roman numeral one in your notes. It's all over the place in the life of Christ, which shouldn't be surprising if the babe in the manger was indeed the very kindness of God incarnate. One of my favorites is in Mark 6. Once again, like last week, we're going to bask in the sun as the gospels were given us to do so that watered by the Spirit, we can then bear this fruit. Mark 6, starting in verse 30. The disciples gathered together with Jesus and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. They went away in a boat to a secluded place by themselves. This tees up the feeding of the 5,000. Did you know that Christ fed the 5,000 just after he had told his disciples that they needed to stop working, that they needed to get away from it all? Come away by yourselves, verse 31, to a secluded place where no one is and rest a while. This is a huge priority. Someone said that we need to come apart before we come apart. Which is true. It's a legitimate need to take a Sabbath rest. There's a whole sermon there. You could title it, Come Apart Before You Come Apart. But... Sometimes God calls us to do what we don't feel that we can, that we've got no energy whatsoever to do so that he can be powerful through us and we'll learn a lesson that will stand us in good stead in every moment of our lives as we always look to him as his, our resource. They had just finished their first ministry tour going out two by two into town after town and they were exhausted. And many people, it says again in verse 31b, were coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. 
If ever there was an earned vacation, a reason for being selfish and spurning an opportunity, this was it. And so Christ said, come apart by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. And they went around to a boat to a secluded place by themselves. And you can be sure the disciples thought mission accomplished. Um, we're successfully, we've successfully ditched the crowd. I felt that way too, as I'm sure some of you have as well. But next verse, verse 33 <laughs> The people saw them going, wouldn't you know it? And many recognized them, and they ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. I mean, talk about a rude interruption. Elsewhere it says, so many thousands of the multitude had gathered together that they were stepping on one another. And you can be sure the disciples did not have a very good attitude about this. They were thinking, this is crazy. But Christ was thinking, what an opportunity. This is God. What a crazy opportunity. He was probably tired too because when he went ashore, verse 34, he saw the multitude and what's the first thing that happened? He felt compassion. (sighs) Truly, he's God. On that count alone, under those circumstances. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. (sighs) I wouldn't have taught them one thing. What would you have done? He taught them not just a few things, but many things. In the parallel accounts, it says that he first, before he taught them, welcomed them, which you can be sure was not exactly what the disciples did. Kindness is the attitude that comes when you're moved with a compassion that welcomes such rude interruptions. To which I can only say, I can't do it without you, Lord. God, help me. Have mercy on me, the sinner. We're so like the disciples who knew how to be unkind. Roman numeral two. How so? Well, having welcomed them, verse 35, he began to teach them many things. And when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, the place is desolate and it's already quite late. Verse 36, send them away. That's how you be unkind. So that they may go to eat into the surrounding countries and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. Send them away. You know, so often in this crazy world of unthinking, uncaring people, ourselves included, when the rubber meets the road, true love, the kindergarten of love, is to be warm-hearted, not cold-hearted at such opportune times. Not hard-hearted, but kind tender-hearted, forgiving each other, not just our sins but our indiscretions, just as God in Christ has forgiven us. All this happened just before the feeding of the 5,000. And if it were up to them, the miracle would never have happened. They would have sent them away. You know, a number of years ago, speaking of how to be unkind, when my daughter Rachel was just a toddler, she interrupted me in kind of the same way, not just my Sabbath rest, uh, but my sleep. It was a crazy hour of 1 a.m. in the morning. She came to over to my side of the bed, woke me up, and she asked for some water. And I was thinking, couldn't she have gone to mommy's side of the bed? <laughs> you know, isn't that what mommies are for? I really wish that, even though, it, you know, she was the same mommy who had just gotten up to nurse Cameron an hour before. I said, Rachel, 
We gave you some water when we put you to bed. Isn't there any left? I gave you two glasses of water. To which she said, yes, Daddy, but it's warm now and I want some cold water. (laughs) I said, Rachel, you don't wake Daddy up for some cold water when you already have some warm water. If you want cold water, you need to go and get it by yourself. I thought I was being very wise. Send them away. I watched her toddle off to our bedroom door. She closed it gently behind her so she wouldn't wake mommy up. And then I imagined her feeling her way down the hallway, the dark hallway to the kitchen, crawling up on the counter, balancing herself as she stood there and she had to push a a chair up to the counter, crawling up there, balancing there as she stood there in the dark, opening the cupboard door, getting the glass, climbing down, setting the glass on the floor, walking over to the refrigerator, opening the door, taking out the gallon jug of cold water with both hands lugging it over to the glass you know and then doing her best to get more water in the cup than outside the cup and then I heard something in deep inside me wasn't a voice but a, a, a distinct feeling that said way to go daddy that's what I imagined her doing there in the kitchen but a didn't nearly get that far because a few minutes later I heard this glass crashing to the floor, breaking, and then a little girl running back to her room. And then God did something. But first, in contrast to this, Christ felt compassion for them. Let's unpack this a little more. Verse 34. There's a whole lot in that one word, compassion. The clear teaching here is that love is more than just an action, as is sometimes taught. That's not biblical. That's sub-biblical. It's a compassion-driven action. God so loved the world, what Joey read after, he, after we lit the Advent candle of love. He read, God so loved the world that he gave, which means that he had such compassion first that he took action, that he gave his only begotten son. It's a compassion-driven action. Anything else is substandard and should send us to our knees. Save me, Lord, from my sin. He felt compassion for them instinctively from the heart because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And out of that compassion, he took action. He began to teach them many things. Verse 35, and when it was already quite late, his disciples came up to him and began saying, the place is desolate, it's already quite late, send them away so they may go and find something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. I'd call that a rebuke. Don't you care about these people? They, don't you even, are, you're clueless. They're, they've been without food all day. It's as plain as the nose on your face. You're so selfish. You give them something to eat. He's starting to stir a miracle by a rebuke and then looking to him. But they went on to virtually say it again, send them away. They said to him, verse 37, shall we go and spend 200 denarii? They're thinking about money now. On bread and give them something to eat. I I love these disciples. They're so like me. I just feel better about myself. (laughs) But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Now, apparently, they didn't, even, they, they didn't even go to the bother of looking because he had to say, how many loaves do you have? Go look. They were obviously in a rather uncooperative mood. They weren't even about to lift a finger to count. 
And so he as much as said, I asked you a question, how many? Go look. That's what it takes sometimes. So they got up, and once they did, it all started to happen. Verse 41, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking upward toward heaven. Notice the disciples were looking toward themselves, but he looked to God. That's how miracles happen. When in our exhaustion, we look to him. They were complaining. He was praying, looking upward to heaven. He blessed the food and broke the loaves and he kept giving them to the disciples to set before them and he divided up the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied. And you know that eventually the disciples were just released, seeing the miracle. The exhaustion left them. God was doing great things through them. Let me tell you a simple formula for triggering the miracle as we turn to Roman numeral four in your notes, how to be kind. Look upward toward heaven like Christ did in your exhaustion or whatever you're feeling or not feeling. Like he always did as we saw last week. Unbroken communion with the Father. It all flowed out of that. Call upon the name of the Lord. Just do it and you'll be saved from the power of sin can't do it on her own the greatest miracle of all so I heard the glass crashing on the floor and a little girl running back to her room of course I couldn't get back to sleep which made me even madder now I was guilty and she kept me because of the guilt she induced from sleeping but then deeper than my anger I felt something again pointed but tender The Spirit saying, couldn't you have forgiven her that impertinence and shown her some fatherly kindness? I still didn't get up because I didn't want to wake up in the way that I knew I would wake up if I got up. But I thought, well, at least I can pray about it. I mean, doesn't it say, call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved? And so I said, Lord, at least I can say I hate what I'm like right now. Forgive me. Save me. Save me from the power of sin. I know what you do, but you're going to have to help me do it. And then I heard something like, just do it. And that rebuke stirred something in my will that wasn't me. And I thought, okay, I'll do my part. Let's just let's take this one baby step at a time. And so I couldn't get up, but I sat up. Go look. This is called the kindergarten of obedience. Imagine that a pastor having to go back to kindergarten. And this wasn't just years ago, it's to this very day. And then I got out of bed and I put one foot in front of the other. And to make a long story short, having made what uh, should have been a short story long, I fished her a glass of water. And something was stirring in me as I did. Went back to bed a few minutes later. I found myself, because of that stirring, getting up again. But this time it was because I wanted to. It wasn't out of conviction, nor was it because of any kind of exhortation. It was out of compassion. It was his compassion. That's what his exhortation and conviction had made possible as I looked to him. The breaking of a hardened heart, the making of a tender heart was going on right then by the kindest man who ever lived, who even then had been so tender with me. She was in bed when I got there. I just wanted to connect with her because I so loved her. And though it was 2 a.m., her eyes were still open. And I said, I'm sorry, honey. Are you all right now? 
And she lifted her arms and I, le you know, I leaned over to receive the hug that I knew I so richly deserved. <laughs> but but as, as it turned out, she wasn't reaching up to hug me. No, she was holding up two fingers. And she said, Daddy, you didn't bring me two glasses of water like you do, did when I went to bed. <laughs> and I kind of waited for my reaction, right? But there was just this kind of weary, tired bemusement. And I found myself turning to get the second glass and chuckling as I went. Just like the disciples as they handed out the food that was multiplied. My feelings were being multiplied. It was almost like I was outside of myself watching someone else do the walking because it really wasn't exactly me. <laughs> me at all. You see, I just did it the first time, and love is an action. We don't want to get away from that. You don't wait till you feel like it. But now I stood back and watched while he did something in me and through me the second time because it's an action in dependence on him, looking to him alone, not just to ourselves, to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. That's the gospel. It was crazy, but in a good way this time. I felt such tenderness towards this the, the, the impertinence of this spunky little girl who dared to ask a pastor for a second glass of water. <laughs> I felt the tenderness of the kindest man who ever lived. For when the kindness of God appeared, his love for mankind, it was Jesus Christ, our Savior, who welcomed them warmly. What does it look like in practice? Well, let me close with this true story that happened back in 1984. It was written up in the Christian Century magazine, and it nails the heart of what we've been talking about today. It's called, Bless You, Mrs. DeGraffin Reed. It goes like this. It all started early Tuesday morning, February 21st, when Louise DeGraffin Reed's husband, Nathan, got up from bed in Mason, Tennessee, to let out the cat. Cat, as they called him, stood at the edge of the porch. His hair bristled up on his arched back, and he hissed. What you see out there, Cat? Nathan asked. A big man stepped from around the corner of the house and pointed a shotgun at Nathan. Lord, honey, Louise heard her husband shout. Open the door, he's got a gun. Before she could open the door, the man with the gun had shoved Nathan inside, pushing him and Louise against the wall. Don't make me kill you, he shouted, thrusting the gun in their faces. The couple knew immediately that the intruder was one of the escaped inmates whom they had heard about on the radio. He was Riley Arsenault of Memphis, who, with four other inmates, had escaped from Fort Pillow State Prison the previous Saturday. Louise de Griffinried, a 73-year-old grandmother, stood her ground. Young man, she said, I am a Christian lady. I don't believe in no violence. Put that gun down and you sit down. I don't allow no violence in here. The man relaxed his grip on the shotgun. He looked at her for a moment. Then he laid his gun on the couch. Lady, he said quietly, I'm so hungry. I haven't had nothing to eat for three days. Young man, you just sit down there and I'll fix you breakfast. Nathan, she said, go get this young man some dry socks. With that, Louise went to work. She fixed him bacon, eggs, white bread, toast, milk, and coffee. Then she got out her best napkins and set her kitchen table. When we sat down, she said, I took the young man by the hand and said, Young man, let's give thanks that you came here and that you are safe. I said a prayer and then asked if he would like to say something to the Lord. He didn't say anything, so I said, Just say, Jesus wept. 
which he did. And then we all ate breakfast. Why did you tell him to say Jesus wept, I asked her later. Because she said, I figured that he didn't have no church background, so I wanted to start him off simple. Something short, you know. <laughs> well, after breakfast, we sat there and I began to pray. Call upon the name of the Lord. I held his hand and kept patting him on the leg. He trembled all over. I said, young man, I love you, and God loves you. God loves all of us, every one of us, especially you. Jesus died for you because he loves you so much. You sound just like my grandmother, he said. She's dead. Nathan said that he saw one tear fall down the boy's cheek. About that time, we heard the police cars coming down the road. They're going to kill me when they get here, he said. No, young man, they aren't going to hurt you. You've done wrong, but God loves you. Then me and Nathan took him by the arms, helped him up, and took him out of the kitchen toward the door. I told him, you let me do all the talking. <laughs> Police got out of their cars. They had their guns out. I shouted to them, y'all put those guns away. I don't allow no violence here. Put them away. The young man wants to go back. Nathan, I said, you bring the young man out there to the car. Then they put the handcuffs on him and took him back to prison. That afternoon, two of the prisoners who had been separated from Arsenault earlier entered a suburban backyard where a couple were barbecuing. The husband went into his house, came out with a gun. The escapees shot and killed him and took the wife hostage. They released her the next day. Was Mrs. DeGriffin Reed frightened? No, she said. Nathan said he was scared, but not me. I knew God was with me, just like we saw Christ last week. That God had sent that young man to me for a reason. I knew God would lead me in the right direction. Luis and Nathan DeGriffin Reed are lifelong members of Mount Sinai Primitive Baptist Church, as they still are. Did you catch how all that happened? I knew God would lead me in the right direction. He told her what to do, and she just did it. He told her what to say, and she said it. All in dependence on him, and so she prayed several times, even with Riley. He empowered her as she looked to him to lead her. And that young man ended up coming to Christ. It's another story. I don't have time to read it. His name again is Riley Arsenault, and he started Free Indeed Prison Ministries. It all comes from what Paul calls the obedience of faith, as we've seen in the book of Romans, from faith to faith into all the world, not from works to works. Not the obedience of works, but the obedience based on faith, that's based on faith in him as you call upon him, as you say, Lord, help me. I, I'll do my part, but you're going to have to do your part. That doesn't go without saying. It's got to be said to make live contact with him. And then you just sit up. You go look. You just do it. You do whatever you know he's telling you to do. It will often feel like more than you think you can handle in the, at the time, and that's by design because you'll only have a little, less than a little, but as you look to heaven, that's when he triggers a miracle. In our weakness comes his power. What we've been talking about today is the power of the gospel, pure and simple. 
The power of the gospel for salvation. It's the gospel in practice. Like it says in Romans 10, 13, when you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. We turn from our sin and call on him. And he saves us not just from the penalty of sin when we become Christians, but all through life from the power of sin. To do in us and through us more than we could ever have done on our own. When having exampled it for us in the gospels, he's been born in us to enable it through us. In this case, his kindness. It's more precious than frankincense. It's the scent of love, as Keith Miller titled a book on love. It so befits him when we feel his good will toward men. It so pleases him and it so befits the season when the trees of the righteous show kindness at Christmas in this hurried and harried season. The kindness that appeared through Christ our Savior. Amen. Father, we do pray that as we sing now, that as with gladness men of old did that guiding star behold as with joy they hailed its light. So may we, our gracious Lord, be led to thee as the answer to what we need from you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.